Amen. You may be seated. Well, um, as you heard last week, I did put a time crunch on Alex, and uh, I told him that, you know, I, I apologize to him because I have never once in the welcome given a time crunch. I have never once said we will be out by this time, and I just happened to do it on a day where the Holy Spirit led him to uh, <laughs> preach a little longer. And so um, he has forgiven me. I'm very grateful. I will, for, I will forgive him for lying this morning. Um, I will be preaching longer than 10 minutes, um, but hopefully not too much longer. Uh, we are going to be wrapping up our Kingdom Domain series this morning. And uh, if you've been here with us, Alex has covered a lot the first three weeks. And so I want to do a quick recap. The first week, Alex talked about kingdom and that the kingdom of God is the eternal reign of God, God's will here on earth, right? And so as a church, as believers, we should be about the kingdom over about Asante Church. We should care more about the will of God than the desires of our own heart, the desires that we have as humans. And then he talked about disciple. What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus first and then to make disciples in our lives? So what does it mean to live up with God, to live in with community, and then to live out with society, which was his third talk with society? How do we as the church engage the community that God has placed us in? How we not segregate and separate ourselves from this world that sometimes can be seen as nasty and dirty and, uh, and messed up, right? So uh, he talked about all those things, and today we're going to be talking about the church. So as the church, um, what is it? What has God designed the church to be? And then how do we display the kingdom? How do we make disciples? And how do we as the church engage society in a way that makes a difference? So before we get there, um, I want us to look at a potential stumbling block, um, a potential uh, something in the way that will keep us from understanding the church that God has called us to be. And so um, in our context of living in America, I love America, go USA. Um, we can start a chant here later on. Um, I, I love America, but we have certain ideologies and Western thinking um, like the American dream like the pursuit of happiness, where this, in this pursuit of happiness that each person has um, the God-given right to pursue greatness, to pursue success with their life. And typically that stems out of uh, hard work, out of them taking the responsibility to provide for themselves, to provide for them their family. Um, and the, the idea of the American dream really stems out of the Enlightenment era, the Enlightenment period, or um, even the industrial modern era, where we created a lot of systems, structures, and processes in our thinking that were very logical, very um, realistic. And so our ideologies as Americans a lot of times are built around um, the self. They're a lot of times built around reason or logic or structures. And, and you can see that in our government, the way that our government is set up. We have certain systems and structures. In our school system, we have certain systems and structures. You teach certain things, and the students are going to learn certain things, right? Step A, B, and C leads to results one, two, and three, right? Or at least ideally. That's what we want it to be. And so, um, and these aren't bad. The American dream is not a bad thing. Don't think that I'm saying it is. But it's certainly different than other cultures in the world, right? If you look at the Far East, their, um, their, commu their cultures are much more communal. 
They share resources together. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I believe that there are some women in here that if somebody else told them how to raise their child, they would be fighting, right? Uh, but in certain cultures in the world, it takes a village. You invite other people to help you raise your kid. You invite them into your lives and share resources and share struggles and things like that. They're also much more philosophical in their thinking than logical. And they are more collective than individualist. Right? And here in America, we have certain thinking, certain mindsets that I think will make it hard for us to understand the church that God has created. So, our first point is that the church is God's communal family. So word communal has negative connotation because it means that you're living on a commune with other people. And that's weird. Don't do that, right? That's what we have come to believe. But the church that God has created is his communal family that once you have received salvation in Jesus, once you have trusted in the salvation that God has offered you, that God sent his son to earth, that his son lived a perfect life and died a gruesome death for you and for me. And once you accept that and you put your hope and your trust in him as the Lord of your life, you are adopted into this family. And this family does not mesh well with the American dream. This family does not mesh well with an individualist culture. So our focus as a believer, as a Christian, is no longer just on ourselves and our family. Our focus can't just be on our relationship with God and then we turn our blinders on to everything else in the world. You see, um, it's not the same in the kingdom of God as it is in the kingdom of the United States of America. It's not the same as in a lot of Western countries that we see. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, and Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Right? We've heard this scripture, and we see that this you, you are the light of the world that a lot of times we think that I am the light of the world. So that means that when I go out into the world, I can live my life and I'm going to let this little light of mine shine. But what it actually means is this you and you are the light of the world is actually a Greek word for y'all. Y'all are the light of the word. All y'all are the light of the world. Because you, the church, is the light of the world. It is a communal church. It is a communal light that when we live together as the church that God has designed us to be, that is when the world sees the light that he has sent. It's not just individual. It's not just us. And so our main scripture for the day is going to explain this further. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you want to flip there or scroll there, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and five. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We individually are not the spiritual house. But as a body of believers, we are um, made up to make this spiritual house. Together, we make up this spiritual house or what you could call a temple. Right? A temple that we are offering sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. Where did that happen in the Old Testament? It happened in the temple. And so we, together, 
each one of us being a stone, are built upon the other, that each one of us are dependent on the other stones that make up this house. That each one of us in this place are dependent on another one. Do you feel like that is your experience in church? Do you feel like if there is a stone that is cracked or missing that you feel the effects of that? If there is a member of this church that is not here, do you feel the weight that now just got put on you? If there is a member, if there is a fellow believer who is struggling, are you struggling with them? If they're hurting, are you hurting with them? Because if one stone is removed, then we all suffer. That's the way that a house is built. If your house was missing a brick, you wouldn't just go on with your day like there was no problem. Because that's a problem. And does our involvement in the church look like that? Does it reflect that? There's a study that two-thirds of American Christians, professed American Christians, say that they don't need to attend church. Two-thirds. Because what's important is their relationship with God, not that they are living in community with other believers. That doesn't sound like what we just read. One-third of these American Christians say that they don't go to church because they haven't found a place that they liked. It doesn't meet the needs and the desires that they want to get from church. Again, I love America, but the American dream tells us that it's about you and it's about your satisfaction. It's about what you can get out of this life, that what's most important to you is most important and you shouldn't worry about anybody else. And church, let me tell you, that is simply wrong when we have a kingdom mindset. We have a mindset of what Jesus, how God has designed us to live as believers. You can't do it on your own. You can't be an individual living your life. That we are adopted into a family, and together we make up a spiritual house. We make up the temple. Um, Alan and Karen's oldest son, his name is Boaz. He's 11, right? Yep. He's in fifth grade, Correct. Yep. Okay. So last week he was out there. He helps us uh, set up in the morning. So last Sunday before church, he was setting up and uh, he, he does the signs mostly. And he's sitting there messing with the signs. And I went over and just talked to him and said, Hey, Boaz, what's up? And he, we talked for a second. He goes, Hey, are you smarter than a fifth grader? And I was like, Hey, okay. Well, what is, what's that guy? Jeff Foxworthy? What are you doing attacking me right now? Um, some people did not understand that joke. Um, so, um, so I, I told him, no, I'm not. And the reason I said, no, I'm not, is because I didn't want to be proven that I wasn't, okay? <laughs> and so I said, no, I'm not. And Boaz continued to uh, ask his question. He said, do you know what a tessellation is? And I said, um, well, I thought first, and I was like, okay, I've heard tessellation. I, I, I'm pretty sure I can figure out what it is. Let me go in my mind palace. Um, and then, but eventually I was like, does that have something to do with stars? I guess I thought constellation. I don't know. Anyways, he goes, no, a tessellation is actually a, a pattern or a shape that is continued and it fits together perfectly and it can continue forever. And so we have this picture of a tessellation of some pretty colorful fish. And uh, you see this fish is shaped in a certain way that another fish can be perfectly inserted in there. And this is actually like, if, you, if you're into math, this is a mathematical equation that can continue forever. And uh, so Boaz proved that I am not smarter than a fifth grader, but what he did do was give us a perfect illustration for today, because the church 
is like this. It is like a tessellation that we are fit together perfectly, that God has built us up as stones built one on top of the other. And if one of these fishes are crooked, the other ones aren't going to fit, right? If one of these fishes is taken out of this tessellation, it's not going to be as beautiful as it would be with it there, right? As the church, we are stones that are built together, one on top of the other, and we are fit perfectly in a way where you can't do this life on your own. You are reliant on those around you within the church. So when you struggle, struggle with somebody else. And when you see somebody struggling, struggle with them. The church is a family of God. Let's continue in 1 Peter in verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. See, we were built around the cornerstone of Jesus. That when you're going to build a house, you have to have that cornerstone, and that cornerstone has to be perfect because if the cornerstone, if the first stone that is laid is not perfect, all the rest are going to be off. And because our cornerstone is Jesus in the church, because our cornerstone is Jesus as believers, we know that our house, that the church is going to stand firm. However, those who do not make Jesus their cornerstone, their house is built on an imperfect stone. So they're going to be left in rubble. So if you have built your house, your spiritual house, this metaphor on anything other than Jesus, it's not good enough. But if you've built it on your success and the American dream of what you can accomplish in your life and provide for your family, if you've built it on relationships, the relationships of uh, another, on your spouse or on your kids, if you've built it on just this idea that you can be happy in your life, let me tell you that those are false cornerstones and they're going to leave you broken. There's a pastor who shared a story of a woman and uh, he was um, counseling her. And this woman's talking and she's telling this pastor how she has a past of of many um, toxic, abusive relationships with men. And she would be in a relationship and and she'd be hurt and she'd be, uh, you know, sad and and she'd she'd finally gain the courage to leave but what she would do is she would just move on to another relationship with another man who was imperfect and would do the same thing and she was stuck in this cycle in her life and so she went to a therapist and the therapist told her hey you need to stop finding your identity in men you need to find your identity in who you are in yourself so you need to stop dating for a while why don't you start on your career why don't you get a job where you can truly figure out who you are as a person so this woman began to you know, study to get her career. And uh, what happened was she realized that all this therapist did was tell her to move her cornerstone from a relationship to her career. And so what happens when her career fails her? What happens when she loses her job or gets laid off? She's in the same situation she was before. And this lady is talking to the pastor and she says, and I realize that now for the first time I need to make my foundation and I need to find my value on Jesus and not on anything else. And for us 
That's the church, our cornerstone, our foundation is Jesus. And if our cornerstone is anything other than him, we need to reevaluate where we are building our lives. The church is built on the perfect stone of Jesus. Verse 9, let's continue. But you, you church, built on the perfect cornerstone of Jesus, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Point number two is that the church is God's glory displayed. That the church is God's glory displayed. That we are a holy nation that proclaims the excellencies of Jesus. As the scripture just said, that these stones that we are, that you are a stone, I am a stone, and we aren't rolling. They are put together to build this spiritual house. And I said it's a temple. And what is a temple to do? In the Old Testament, a temple was the place where they would go and they would experience God. The temple was a place where they would go into the holiest of holies, that they would offer their sacrifices to the Lord. The temple was the place of God's glory. And then Jesus came and he said, no, I am now the temple, that I am God incarnate. I am God in the flesh, that if you want to see God's glory, look at my life, look at the way that I live, because Jesus was the temple, that he was the expression of God's glory. And then Jesus hands the baton to the church. He hands it to us. That if the world is to see the glory of God in this earth, it is through the church. That the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've heard scripture where you say that your body is a temple, so you shall not defile it, right? Don't get tattoos because they're bad. Your body is the temple. Well, in all but one place in scripture, when it refers to us being the temple, it is communal. It is as a church. It is plural. Usually, it's not a singular person as the temple. And so we, our job as the church is to represent God's goodness. We are God's glory displayed here on earth. So how do we do that? How do we display his goodness? Well, it means we love people. We spent a lot of time in 1 John back in the fall And in 1 John, we saw over and over again that the world will know your love for God because of the way that you love others. That when you love other people, it will prove that you love God. We saw that over and over again. So we love others because our God is loving to us. So we want to represent his goodness in this world. So we love others. Then the early church, people were drawn to the early church because the way they cared for one another, because the way that they provided for one another, the way that they ate meals together, they cared for the widows, they cared for the orphans. They loved one another well, and the church grew exponentially. And the circumstances haven't changed. We are called to love one another. We are called to share the burden, share possessions, share um, just our lives with each other. And we display God's glory when we do that. We display the glory of God when we love one another. And then the next thing that we do, it means that we also uphold the truths of God. We love one another, but we also uphold his truths. 
And this is difficult today, isn't it? Because in a world where everything is relative and in a world where people are so easily offended, I feel like the truth has been put on the back burner by the church. Maybe not as a whole, but I feel like part of representing God's glory means that we uphold and we stick to the truth of what we see in Scripture, even when it's difficult to understand. Because God is holy and we are not. Holy means to be set apart. That God is set apart from us so we can't understand the things that God understands. We don't understand why certain things in Scripture say what they say. But we need to know that God is true and God is loving and God is just and God is right. And so we are going to proclaim His goodness to the world. It means that we don't compromise that even if sometimes it's offensive. And I know that that's hard to hear as the church. Because we want people to love us. We want to be accepted by the society that we're trying to reach. Hey, you want some good news? Let's read this. John chapter 15, verse 18. Jesus tells his disciples, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Hmm, let's close right there. Again, we're the light of the world. That we as the church are supposed to show the world God's goodness and show the world the light of Jesus. So that means that we love others, and it means that we uphold the truths of God. And that means we can't compromise on either one. If we love the world so much so that we compromise the truths of Scripture, it means that we're loving them straight to an eternity separated from God. If people in this world don't understand the weight of their sin, if we don't proclaim that God is a holy and righteous God, and we compromise that and we withhold that, we might be accepted by the world, but we're not representing God's glory at all. But on the flip side, if you are upholding the truths of God, but you aren't loving the world, you're a hypocrite because you are saying you uphold the truths, but you're not living the truths out that you are preaching. Because the truth of God is that he is a God who loves others. He is a God who forgives those who hate him. He is a God who extended himself and stepped out of heaven into earth to be hated, to be beaten, to be killed. So if we're not doing the same, we're not representing the glory of God. We have to love others. We have to uphold his truths, both of them. And what does Jesus tell us as a catch-22? Because we can do exactly what God says. And what does he say? The world will still hate you. Don't you feel encouraged this morning? The world will still hate you. In this, uh, at least for me, uh, I, I guess I'm a product of America, so I think, well, no, there has to be a way, right? 
Like, there's, there's no way that that's actually, like, the end. There's, there's not a period there. Like, there has to be a way that we can love the world and we can uphold the truths of God and something else so that the world won't hate us. Jesus says, no. If you live the way that I live, the world hated me, so why wouldn't the world hate you? And it, we can't compromise the truth. We can't compromise loving others just because the world will hate us. We can't huddle together and hide. We can't segregate and separate ourselves. And we definitely cannot compromise the truth of God to be accepted. Point number three, the church is God's agent of change. The church is God's agent of change. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When we proclaim the glories of God, change will come in the society around us. It says it clearly in verse 12. What does it say? It says, they will speak against us as evildoers. They will call us evil. But they will see our good deeds and glorify God. Both will happen. They will call us evildoers and they will see our good deeds and they will glorify God. Both of those things will happen because God is going to use us so that the world will come to know him and the world will deny us in the process. Because we are sojourners, we are exiles, we are aliens in a foreign land. A couple weeks ago, Alex talked about us being ambassadors for Christ here on earth, that we are not citizens of earth. So why do we think that people are going to accept us the way that we are? That if we are ambassadors, we are citizens of heaven who have been placed on earth to represent the place that we came from. That as an ambassador, you are no longer a citizen of the place where you are currently living. You're a citizen of your home. We are citizens of heaven. So we represent Christ in his goodness, in his righteousness, in his holiness. We don't represent the culture that we live in. Because we are exiles. Because we are sojourners wandering this place until we get home. And we can't let that make us enemies with the world. Just because we are aliens here. Doesn't mean that we separate ourselves. We have this holy huddle. And we talk about Jesus and we get really excited and then we leave and we don't talk to anybody out there. We are the church. We are called to represent God's goodness and we are called to do God's will on earth. Y'all know the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus says, uh, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, guess what? You are the agent of change that makes his will done on earth. That you as the church, us together, we are his kingdom and his will done on this place. So we serve others in this world. We love others. We uphold the truths of God, and we forgive those who wrong us just as Christ forgave us. Because once, we were the world. We were the world who hated Christ. 
We were the world who was living in the passions of our flesh, that we were living the way that we wanted to based on our desires and not the truths of God. And so in that same way that Christ has forgiven us, we forgive the world around us. We forgive those who hurt us and we love them and we serve them. So we display the glory of God. We display it to the society around us as we engage them. We seek to make disciples in this world by preaching and teaching the gospel with the way that we live and the words that we say. And then we bring the kingdom of God to earth by being the church that God designed us to be. I don't want to be hated. I want to be accepted by people. I wish that every time I shared that I was a Christian, people were happy. I wish that their posture didn't suddenly straighten up when I told them I'm a pastor. I wish that their language didn't change when they were talking to me because I'm a pastor. I wish they didn't think that they don't need to talk to me anymore because I'm a weird pastor. I want the world to accept me, and I want to live as Jesus has called me to live, be accepted, but what does he say? It's not what happens. That You will be hated. That they're going to deny you, that the world is going to call you evildoers. But guess what? I'm also going to receive the glory. They're also going to come to know Jesus, even though they hate us. We're still called to be the church, even if we're called bigots, even if we're called evildoers. 1 Peter chapter 14 says this, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. How am I supposed to rejoice when I'm being suffered, when I am suffering, when I'm being hated against, when I'm being called names? How am I supposed to rejoice? But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Church, that is why we represent the goodness of God in this world because we gladly love and we gladly serve this world who may hate us because God gets the glory. It's not about us, church. That, that this house that is being built is not built to represent you and it's not built to represent me. That this house that God is building with us as believers is to represent him. The house is built for him and for his glory, not our own. And in the same way that we pick up our cross daily, Picking up our cross is not a good thing. Picking up our cross means we are dying to ourselves daily. In the same way that we follow Jesus, we follow in the suffering of Jesus. And we hope that God gets the glory through it. But he is just and he is good to save this world. Point number four, the church is God's period. The church is God's. It's not ours. So we seek to serve him. We seek to uh, honor him. It's his church, and we live for his kingdom and for his glory and to make his name famous, not our own. So church, I'm sorry to tell you, but that means that you suffer in the process. 
It means that life is not going to be easy for you in the process. I know that's a downer. <laughs> I was studying for this, and I was like, no, I need to come up with something that's a little happier. I need to add, find another scripture and add it in here that's going to lighten the mood at the end. It's going to get us really happy. And, and we can go and we can know that, but it's okay because God says that you're not going to have to deal with that suffering. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> he says that you have to deal with the suffering. But if you are trusting him and you're saying he is your Lord and your hope is in him and you're following him, you're following him and he suffered. And he was killed but he rose victoriously and he received the glory and God is honored and praised now in this place because of the people who suffered back then. So we have a calling to be the church and to do the same thing now in our community and in our age and in your domains and in your society that you are in. Represent God by loving others and by upholding his truths and you may be hated, but if God receives the glory, then it's worth it. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus. This may be difficult to hear. Um, but God, we lay ourselves down. We lay our pride down. We lay our desires down at your feet, Lord. Because when we look to the cross, we see that you laid everything down for us. You laid everything down to be obedient to the Father and what he required. So, Lord, we thank you for that life that we find at the cross. We thank you that, Jesus, that you were the example and you were our Savior. And so I pray that right now for anyone in this room who hasn't trusted you, I pray what they would know that you were following in the suffering, but you were following with life. You were following with hope. You were following with peace. So for the person in this room now that needs to trust you, Jesus, I pray that they would be so bold. I pray that they would step out in faith, knowing that it's not going to be easy. But it's the best life possible. That they would stop building their life on any cornerstone other than you. And if that's you in this room right now, I pray that you would be so bold to either come up and talk to me after the service, to talk to Alex, to mark on your connect card that you have made the decision to trust Jesus today and we would love to get coffee with you. We would love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus with your life. And believer in the room today, if you are following Jesus, if you have trusted him, Put your hope in him. You are adopted into this family. And you have hope because you're not alone. You have hope because you can find encouragement with others that are living the same way. So Jesus, I pray for each one of us in this room. I pray for your church to understand that we have a calling to love this world because you love them and to uphold your truths and represent your goodness, God. And we leave the change of hearts up to you. We know that you are good and mighty to save. So we ask that you would do that. 
ask that you would honor honor our uh, efforts honor our struggles and we pray that you would receive the glory from your church Jesus Lord as we continue to worship draw us near to you we love you pray all this in your name Amen.